Welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio, a show by working people about working people in New York City. My name is Johnny Guzman. Tonight's show continues our series of interviews with people over the question of housing, rent, and evictions during COVID-19. Over 94,000 New Yorkers have signed the Housing Justice for All petition to suspend rent and mortgages across the state. While the debate to provide rent relief to thousands intensifies, Public housing residents, unhoused New Yorkers, and tenants are feeling the long-time refusal of the state to provide housing as a health care and human right. Let's now pass it over to our correspondent, Brenda Leon, who will continue this conversation about the impacts of this neglect in the North Bronx. The challenge on my end has been to both provide them with any assistance or resources that they might need in terms of food or medicine or other supplies and also uh, listening to them and seeing if I can you know help motivate them to participate in like a, what we call mass civil non-compliance especially if they're um, looking to uh, fall behind on rent payments. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon that was Bronx resident and tenant organizer Alvaro Franco. Alvaro has been organizing rent-stabilized buildings with the Northwest Bronx Community and Clergy Coalition. Last week, our correspondent Julian Guerrero highlighted South Bronx tenants' organizing efforts to rent strike and demand livable housing conditions. Today, on Working Class Heroes Radio, we take you to the North Bronx, where Alvaro has been actively organizing with tenants who live in rent-regulated buildings. Currently in New York, there are two types of rent-regulated units, rent-controlled and rent-stabilized. Every year, the Rent Guidelines Board determines rent increases, and they decide on whether to freeze, increase, or roll back rents. On May 7th, the Rent Guidelines Board held their preliminary voting and decided on a rent freeze. But tenant advocates argued that this was not enough to protect essential workers on the front lines. As Alvaro has continued to get very creative alongside tenant associations during COVID-19, many members are still risking their health as essential workers, while others are facing an uphill battle economically because they have either been laid off or temporarily furloughed, as has been the case in the buildings where Alvaro is on the ground. While Governor Cuomo extended the moratorium on rental evictions through August of this year, this has been the result of applying pressure through statewide campaigning and coalition building. As a tenant organizer, Alvaro's challenge now has been to provide tenants with encouragement to remind them that collectively they hold power and that when they are in for the long haul, they can demand real changes. Alvaro, with your experience on the field, before this pandemic hit, what were some of the most immediate needs that you heard from working in the Bronx? Even before the pandemic, I could say that uh, rent control was a number one priority amongst uh, many of the tenants that I was helping to organize uh, in these in these rent rent regulated buildings, and either through a court case that they had in the Bronx Housing Court, or through helping them file individual rent reductions 
um, through DH, you know, through the Department of Homes and Community Renewal. Um, but that was that was the burden that we were trying to alleviate the most, coupled with repairs. It's definitely a point of conversation, right? Because a major concern for tenants all across the city has been rent. So while the governor ordered a statewide suspension of all evictions, how has this played out with social distancing and activating tenants to put pressure on the governor? I think imagination is is crucial, and uh, you know it could take it could take many many forms. Um, and I think it's helped to bridge some of the separate coalition work that was already going on uh, to focus with a you know razor sharp lens on what what's the immediate pressing need that everyone can collaborate on, and then once those goals are decided, what would be the best or most practical yet imaginative ways of realizing that, whether it's Car protest, or um, uh, to borrow, to, to to highlight an example from the South Bronx tenants movement, like uh, letting go of balloons that illustrate the demand or that promote the demand to spend rent, um, or even um, planning ahead with with virtual meetings and you know navigating that process with older tenants who are not that familiar with technology. Have you heard of tenant harassment increasing in any way? Yeah, I'll give you an example. I mean, without naming the the address yet, because we're still figuring out strategy, but in one building that I've organized, two people were already infected with the virus, and luckily they recovered before a third person uh, contracted the virus, unfortunately passed away, and had his body removed. But that building should have been sanitized at the very least, could have prevented all of this, especially considering that there were some tenants who were concerned and I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't this, only this building, but tenants being concerned for their health risk if they even set foot outside the apartment to throw out the garbage. And um, on top of that, you know, to add insult to injury, can you imagine that it's now becoming a common scenario where some uh, landlords or management companies are still sending out letters to tenants saying, "Hey, let's enter a payment plan," or "This is a number that you can call so we can uh, receive your the email address or the number that you can call." To make sure that we receive your check or money order. And has there been a collective response as part of the tenant association? We're working on it. Uh, we are we are definitely seeing how we can, in whatever capacity that we can, uh, we are definitely you know working as tenants and organizers as a unit to see what's the best uh, and most practical way to contribute to this you know campaign uh, with immediate demand. Um, any more collection of rent by calling for immediate suspension of rent so that at the very least, uh, while tenants are still winning to see if they have a job uh, to, to come back to, um, they don't, you know, at the very least, they wouldn't have to worry about uh, keeping the roof over their heads. On April 3rd, the city and Independent News Seller reported that Bronx residents are twice as likely to die from COVID-19. And I know you just mentioned a story that has really hit home in one of the buildings that you organize. Um, And we're pretty aware that living conditions can often impact the health of tenants. What happens when a tenant is in need of an emergency repair that might have an impact to their health? Well, lamentably, the only response from the city has been to keep calling uh, 311, even though the, the inspector can't come into tenants' apartments understandably now and that's a tactic that even in the past has been hit or miss uh, depending on when the tenant's available and when the inspector can come out 
to, you know, personally uh, observe firsthand what's been going on. But uh, just today, for example, uh, I did learn that um, a separate, yeah, a separate group named uh, JustFix.NYC launched a tool where if tenants have a smartphone accessible to them, they can uh, sue their landlord for emergency repairs. Uh, because emergency repairs is one of the few things I believe that uh, some form of housing court would still be uh, receptive to hearing, even though the Bronx housing court is shut down and every other major housing court uh, in the boroughs has also shut down. And I think this is just a small step in the right direction, but a step nonetheless. And it's definitely something that tenants can use to their advantage, even public housing tenants. But that also brings up the issue that can sometimes be the elephant in the room. Sometimes it's language access, and then most of the, most of the time it's the fact that uh, not every tenant has access to technology like that, or are tech savvy in the way that any phone application requires. So the challenge for me is how can I make myself available to a particular tenant that is in a dire situation and needs emergency repairs, but doesn't necessarily have the capacity to understand the uh, technology in a short amount of time. You know, and I think, again, that's where creativity and imagination comes in. And also just working one-on-one -on -one with the tenant uh, over the phone, if, if need be, to see, uh, you know, how soon they can resolve that issue with the help of outside providers like uh, JustFix and uh, get them connected to a legal uh, provider right away and uh, get them get that issue heard in, in housing court and either get the city, uh, an agency like the Department of Buildings involved, and uh, in addition to uh, housing attorney that we can connect them to uh, through our network. What is considered an emergency repair? Um, in this context, I would say emergency repair is anything that would be a Class C violation, like uh, someone testing positive for uh, lead paint, um, you know, serious um, damage that would make the apartment uninhabitable, like holes in the ceilings or the walls, a leak. Uh, anything basically that's in addition to uh, the the virus that's already raking havoc, anything that would compromise the tenant's health or immune system from within their own apartment. You know, because I think that would be again insult on top of injury. Not only do you have to worry about the virus, but then you have to worry about something in your apartment that would cause your health to be uh, seriously at risk. Anyway, in this case, again, I'm reflecting on a current building that I'm you know, helping to organize. Um, an emergency repair would be, you know, at least sanitizing the building. It's, I think it's unacceptable that the city um, or any of the authorities in charge, uh, any of the departments in charge would not consider uh, cleaning less than once a week to not be a violation. Of course, it's a violation, especially if garbage isn't getting picked up uh, or in some cases if the super doesn't want to do his job. I think that should be considered an immediate health violation. Uh, and should be registered as such with HPD. Uh, that, in my opinion, would constitute an emergency repair. What has been the response from the city or officials, particularly in protecting or preparing any type of response to the needs of Bronx residents? I think it's been, you know, shallow at best and disgusting at worst. But yeah, in regards to policy, I think it's just everything that's happened here with New York being considered the epicenter of the pandemic here in the U.S. Um, it just goes to show that the infrastructure wasn't working. We need Medicare for all now as a substitute for 
making universal healthcare accessible to everyone, regardless of uh, citizenship status. And we, we shouldn't drink the Kool-Aid if we have a governor, um, although you know he identifies as Democrat, get all sorts of brownie points simply because he's, he forms more coherent sentences than Donald Trump in his speech. With Whitey on the moon, her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio right here on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're talking with Alvaro Franco about housing and tenant organizing during COVID-19 in the Bronx. Can you speak to the reasons why tenants are deciding to strike? To be clear, um, none of the buildings that I am working with have done a full-on rent strike. Like They haven't reached that level of at least one-third of their neighbors um, contributing to that uh, or committing to that, um, better put. Um, yes, there are some, a few examples in some cases uh, where either the tenant feels insecure about paying, you know, paying their rent through their regular check or money order because they don't feel safe going outside of their doorstep or they're withholding their rent on principle because they demand answers from either the super or the building manager about when their gas will be finally turned back on. And this is for a building that's had their gas go out since November of last year, just before Thanksgiving. So those are specific reasons, but just like an, an insight into the diversity of reasons of why some tenants choose to make that decision. And now my work is just to uh, make sure everyone is on the same page to either support them or join them. And what are some of the obstacles around that? Like you mentioned fear and you mentioned that there are tenants who are deciding to pay their rent. I mean, luckily it hasn't been an ideological issue with those that choose to pay their rent. They're not, you know, they're not reactionary in that sense, but I think it is more of a place of concern or even fear. Like, shoot, I don't want to mess up my credit or I don't want to be on bad terms. I don't want to face any retaliation from the management and, and instead, let's just focus on an HP case. You know, that's, that's for sure where we'll have legal protection. Though, I mean, look, the tenant movement has always been women-led in my experience. Like it's always the, the mothers, uh, the, you know, the single mothers, the mothers and the families, like the heads of households that have always been the most active in these meetings and uh, these associations. And that's just a fact of life from what I've observed. So even within that demographic, there are those that, you know, either feel they have to consult with their spouse about what decision to make or they're, um, they're all by themselves. They don't have that support system and they have to take care of their kids and they have to make, they feel they have to make a decision that makes the most sense financially, even if the building has fallen into disrepair. So, you know, that, that leaves us with, as organizers, that leaves us with an interesting organizing position where really the best solution is to have one-on-ones to build solidarity with one another, um, to encourage neighbors to listen to each other. And then try to come to a consensus on what would be the biggest or boldest statement given everyone's capacity to make sure that they get at least the very basic or most essential of services even during um, a pandemic. Because there are also a lot of seniors or disabled folks in these buildings and whatever bad was happening before, it's now exacerbated by either lack of maintenance or um, lack of uh, sanitizing throughout the whole building. But yeah, I mean, overall in those buildings, uh, I think my work uh, you know, is cut out for me and it's just a matter of uh, saying, okay, in the most distressed building, how can we make sure that we develop tenants' political education, possibly their militancy, and, and help them understand why 
if a landlord doesn't live here and clearly doesn't care about their interests, and in one case, as you know, uh, let their porter die in isolation after 10 days, like how can we make the tenants see that this would be perhaps the next most important step they can take, even in conjunction with an HP case? You know, how can they see that maybe a strike would be, or withholding their rent, not as a strike, but as mass non-compliance, how would that be in their best interests? Part of what you have been calling tenants or tenant associations to do is to participate in a, in a mass civil non-compliance, right? Can you just explain what that looks like? What responses have been from tenant associations? Sure. Uh, the main difference between a mass non-compliance and a traditional rent strike is that, um, well, let's start for the rent strike, uh, for example. With a rent strike in the past, um, it was often a tool that tenants were willing to use to force the landlord to complete repairs or for any other reasons uh, that usually had to do with neglect or some sort of um, overcharge or just you know rampant abuse. Uh, but it was something that tenants chose to do. Now, uh, due to these circumstances, it's a position that tenants often have no choice but to do because they are either out of work or uh, they are unable to leave their doorstep and drop off their money order or check in the mail because they don't want to compromise uh, or, you know, their immune systems and get infected with the virus. You know, so tenants often now don't have the choice. Um, it's not a choice anymore. It's something that they, by default, end up doing because they, um, they simply like the means. Um, so that's like a rent strike during COVID-19. Um, but with mass non-compliance, uh, that, situ that situation or scenario uh, really only applies to buildings where less than a third of the tenants are participating in, uh, uh, in doing a rent strike or just withholding their rent on principle. You know, usually, and the criteria that was laid out was in order for a building to uh, officially be represented by attorneys for a rent strike, it had to be uh, ideally 50% of the building, 50% 50, 50 of the tenants, or minimum one-third of uh, the tenants. And mass non-compliance, I think, is applying more and more to those cases where there are, like, there are some tenants who are down, but just simply not enough for um, the tenants to be represented on a traditional rent strike case. And then, you know, what the attorneys end up having to do is go back and touch base with their, um, their higher ups and see how it would be the best strategy to, to represent that building in court. So I think the most that I can offer them is political education and give them a history about some of the victories that were won through um, doing things that seemed uncomfortable at first, but ultimately resulted in, in some protection and even the foundation of the, the rent guidelines board, which was now, now it's seen as a body of being neutral and hearing both landlords and tenants, but it was actually established because there was so much landlord abuse and there needed to be a, some sort of regulatory platform to make sure that tenants had their voices heard too. But obviously, you know, now with over time, especially under capitalism, everything tends to be neutralized so that uh, everyone is treated equally without regard to who actually has the most at stake. It's a first, it's an exhibit A of why, why how, the, how this is more from uh, regular late capitalism into disaster capitalism all of a sudden because the, the first response to this crisis has been more motivated by profit than actual, than actual healing and, uh, and recovery that transcends whatever concerns we have about putting, you know, keeping our people, keeping our communities safe. In the Bronx, what else 
are Bronx tenants or Bronx residents demanding? I think it's the biggest measure that I've seen so far to call for solidarity. Um, for, pe from pe for people from different backgrounds, um, and even those that can't afford to pay the rent, withholding the rent in solidarity with their neighbors who are more vulnerable, uh, even with their immigrant neighbors as well. And I think that those are the most basic and transparent demands that the community can make at this juncture. If, and, and ultimately, no matter how long it takes, it's a sobering reminder that at the end of the day, sometimes all that we have to rely on is ourselves. And you know, we have to have each other's backs. And if we can at least come together on some sort of common or collective demand to forgive rent for those that most deserve it, not billionaire landlords, not uh, real estate industry titans, but you know, the common working, the, the working family that lives across the street from you and I, um, I think that we can be capable of achieving uh, a lot and we can strike while the iron is hot. As effervescence builds among tenants across New York, Alvaro highlights the way COVID-19 has laid bare the crisis that Bronxites, residents, and tenants have long been facing. While the challenge is to continue to equip tenants with necessary resources and tools, many of these efforts have morphed into mutual aid, proving that collective imagination has built the ground for solutions of solidarity during a pandemic. As the governor has extended the moratorium to halt evictions until August of 2020, many New Yorkers are still seeking a true relief that will include rent cancellation, reductions, or rollbacks, and not another day in court. With all that money I made last year for Whitey on the Moon, how come I ain't got no money here? Hmm, Whitey's on the Moon. You know, I just about had my fill of Whitey on the Moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills. Air mail special. To Whitey on the Moon. Come on in the trap to That's our show for this week. If you have a story of your own or want to share your thoughts about this week's episode, give us a call at 929-352-0134. Leave a name a phone number, and we'll get back to you. Again, that number is 929-352-0134. We'll be back next Thursday at 7.30 p.m. right here on WBAI 99.5 FM, New York City's main source of community radio. You can support this station by becoming a BAI buddy at WBAI.org. Next week, Lia Ramirez speaks with NYCHA tenant and organizer Jasmine Sanchez about conditions in NYCHA, their response to COVID-19, and tenant organizing. If you missed our last show, head over to wchradio.org to hear previous episodes. While you're there, fill out the workers' inquiry. We want to hear from working-class New Yorkers about what your employer is or isn't doing to protect you and your coworkers. Again, the website is wchradio.org. Let's continue this conversation on Twitter. Follow us at WCHpod. Stay safe, stay healthy, New York, and as always, in solidarity. <laughs>